0: Welcome back to another episode here on Authentic Spoon Nutrition. I'm your host, Tess Keatley, an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist from Australia. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in learning about nutrition, business for health professionals, as well this year, I'm changing things up and having authentic conversations with people who just really inspire me. So on today's episode, I have special guest Aiden Muir, who is also an accredited practicing dietitian and an accredited sports dietitian based in Brisbane. Aiden sees both clients in person as well as offers online consultations. He has a special interest in helping people build muscle, lose fat, or improve their performance. Aiden has a personal interest in strength and powerlifting and shares some pretty cool content on his Instagram at aiden underscore the underscore dietitian i have a feeling you guys are going to really enjoy today's podcast we dive deep into all things metabolism metabolic adaptation how to figure out how many calories you should be eating per day if you want to lose weight or gain muscle how much protein a day you should be eating as well as some of the risks that can happen if we're eating in a calorie deficit for too long Welcome, Aidan. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Pleasure
0: to be on. Thank you for having me. No worries. Now, I'm a huge fan of your Instagram and loving how much you've grown in the last, um, i say six months, you've just really taken off. I remember first finding your Instagram when you were the yogurt boy. Was it Chobani? Yeah,
1: always plugging Chobani. Yeah, yeah.
0: and I was like, who is this guy? He must, must love um, Chobani. There we go. So I guess my first question of the day is, a little bit of an icebreaker is, and it's a hard one for foodies and dietitians. but if you had to eat any food for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?
1: Um, I don't know. If I had to pick a meal, I'd go super basic in terms of chicken, broccoli, and brown rice. Yeah. like That's just my go-to. Mm-hmm. Um. I even remember, like, even, like, at a time where I've been living out of home for, like, over a year, I was still making that as my go-to meal without, like, without adding flavour, like, without adding herbs and spices. Like, I was just having that. And then one day, like, my housemates introduced me to, like, I think it was, like, lemon pepper or something like that. Mm. I was like, you've introduced me to flavour. Like, this (laughs) is something, like incredible
0: <laughs> that's so funny because like it's interesting you said that because chicken and broccoli would be like my last meal that I would ever pick like back when I used to do CrossFit that was just like the go-to meal so I think I just overdid it but that's so interesting yeah it's so bland but
1: yeah, I like bland yeah and
0: if it works it works so cool all right so let's start off so tell us a little bit of, about your background so you're obviously a dietitian. um so how did that all begin for you
1: um I suppose like The classic story, I feel like I tell this a lot, but it's basically I was a really, really skinny kid. So I'm 92 kilos now at six foot tall, but I was originally at 17 years old. I was 62 kilos at the same height. Um, And I'd always played sports. I'd always really loved sports, but there were certain sports I couldn't be good at due to that issue in terms of, like, say, rugby league. Like, no matter how hard I tried, there was no way I was going to be good at rugby league at that kind of weight. So... My passion originally started in terms of I got into the gym and I started lifting weights because I was like, oh, yeah, that's going to solve the problem. I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to get jacked and it's going to solve all my life's problems. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. Like, I actually lost weight. So I was like 67 kilos and then I started lifting weights and I lost weight and got down to 62. And I was like, what on earth is going on? Like, something is wrong here. Um, obviously, did my Googling and I was like, oh, it must be my nutrition, that's the issue. <laughs> um, got onto some forums, like mostly bodybuilding related to forums and like they're not the most like evidence-based source of nutrition, but like there was a few people on there who were pretty smart and like giving some good advice. And it kind of like clicked in my head. I was like, hang on, like, there are smart people when it comes to nutrition, there is a lot to know. And it kind of let me down that rabbit hole of trying to learn as much as I could. I was already spending all my time reading about it. So then I was like, why should I go study at university? I might as well study what I'm interested in. So then I started nutrition and dietetics at university and it just gradually transitioned into what I'm doing now.
0: Awesome. I feel like a lot of dietitians have that story where it was like maybe a personal story and then they started looking on, you know, Dr. Google and, you know, then they find nutrition and dietetics a good evidence-based um, way of learning about nutrition. So, yeah, awesome.
1: 100%. Like, it's, all, it's always stems from a personal interest in yeah, most people, I think. Yeah, definitely.
0: I don't think I've ever met a dietitian who was like, yeah, I was just interested in food, and then I went and studied it. But maybe someone listening might be like Tess, that was me. So let us, let us know in the comments if, if you that's like you. That, I'm like, Can
1: I trust you. Like, yeah. I'm sure there's, there's something. There's got to be something. I know.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a very um, calculated answer.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So, where did you actually study? Are you from Queensland originally?
1: No, so I I'm from Nara originally on the south coast, but I studied at Wagga Wagga, so mm-hmm. Charles Sturt University there. Um, you wouldn't know many people from there because I was the last cohort to go through. Mm. So they, they wrapped things up in 2016 and yeah, there's been no one since then. So last cohort. Yeah.
0: And what type of student were you? I always like asking people this question. Were you a good student?
1: (laughs) That is an interesting question. Um, In my first year, no, I was like, I come from a really strict household. Mm. So university was like my first, kind of access to freedom. And I really took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I like alcohol too. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of partying in my first year. And then our course lost its accreditation in between my first and second year. Um. And we got it back eventually, but that was a big scare for me. Cause I was like, oh, I've got to transfer into another course if I want to, if I want to get a job at the end of this. And my grades weren't good enough. Like I was averaging somewhere between a pass and a credit and to transfer to any other dietetics course, I needed at least a distinction average. So, like, that kind of scared me a bit. So, from then, I really switched on and took things seriously. And I guess from there, it kind of, like, changed my entire personality to a certain degree. And I started taking that a lot more seriously. But then I also think that transitioned to, like, once I got into business and stuff, like, yeah. that or into the workforce. So I took that a lot more seriously than I had previously as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when you graduated, um, did you go straight into the dietetics workforce or did you start somewhere else?
1: Yeah. So, probably... At the start of my fourth year, it was when I learned that there weren't many jobs in dietetics. And because of that, I was because I was like, this is what I want to do. I was pretty motivated. So I started lining up as much work as I could. So I had a few options when I graduated, but my dream based on like that personal story was I always wanted to work with gym guys. Basically it was the starting point. And there was a gym in Wagga that was massive. It had 3000 members, which is insane considering Wagga's only got 60,000 people mm-hmm. total. Um, they offered me the opportunity to start my business inside of their gym. So that was my first kind of intro into the workforce.
0: Cool. And, um, and then after that, did you, um, stay with that place for long or did you go into like private practice or?
1: Um, I stayed there for about three months, I think, four months. Um, yeah, it was like, it was harder than I thought it would be. It was hard to get clients. Like I had a bit of a lead into getting clients in terms of I worked at reception there for mm-hmm. a bit over a month for free so I wasn't getting paid to do that mm-hmm. um, and I was working like 40-hour weeks so crazy in hindsight really dumb in hindsight and I started in January of that year actually seeing clients and I had two people book in my first week.
0: Well that's good. And It's good <laughs> for your first the week. I, put
1: in, I was really yeah. disappointed by that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I got really lucky that I ran not necessarily a Facebook ad but I put up like a boosted post on Facebook which... Long story, but it led to converting about twenty to thirty clients per mm-hmm. week for the next couple of weeks. Um, so I got really lucky in that scenario that it was looking like it was on the uptrend. But I learned really quickly that like I kind of needed to learn from somebody else for a little bit to get to where I wanted to be because it was pretty ambitious. I had much bigger goals than I do now, mm-hmm. and I was like, "There's no way I can get to what I want to do without learning from other people. It's just going to take too long."
0: Yeah, I can fully relate to that. Like. As soon as I graduated, I had a grand plan of all these things that I wanted to do. And then I was like, actually, maybe I do need to get some experience first. And I'm super grateful that I actually did go and, you know, work for other people and work as a clinical dietitian for a bit just to get that foundation, I think. But um, like if someone's listening and they're thinking about going straight out, then I'm not going to be one to crush your dreams by all means do it. Um, I guess everyone's different with that, I guess. so. So um, obviously you run your own business now, um, Ideal Nutrition. So what inspired you to start your own business?
1: Um, So originally that first time around, it was like delusions of grandeur, like going to be a millionaire by 30 was the (laughs) original plan. Um, This time around, it was basically I'd worked for for other people in other roles. And even one of the jobs I worked in was actually a really, really good job. Um, Like any dietitian would have loved it, but... I kind of didn't, like mm. it was just, I mean, I was struggling to work for other people. I was struggling with, if somebody told me to do something and I didn't want to do it, I still had to do it because I was getting paid to do it. Mm. Whereas I kind of like the freedom in my own role of, if I want to do something, I can do it. If I want to do things my way with clients, I can do it my way. Um, that was kind of it. It got to the point that it was like, I'd rather not earn much money. Like in my mind, I was like, I'd rather earn, say, a comfortable like one thousand dollars per week and do it on my terms versus earning good money for someone else that yeah. was basically the inspiration behind
0: it yeah so being able to have your own freedom really and do work with people that you want to work with in the way that you want to work with them
1: yeah 100 and that was another thing that wording there like I was seeing a lot of clients I didn't necessarily want to see and like at the start as a new grad I, I was so happy doing that I was so comfortable doing that but like three years into it like that I'd get to the start of a consult and see somebody for, say, half an hour and I'd know at the start of the consult I was not going to enjoy the next 30 minutes. Yeah. And, yeah, it just became a bit of a grind doing that, whereas now, like, I don't ever have to do that. Yeah. Like, firstly, I attract clients that want to see me mm. versus people who just want to see a dietitian. But secondly, if I ever got into the position where I'm like, hey, I'm not the dietitian for this person, I can just refer them on to someone else.
0: Yeah, I think that's so good. So what, um, what clients do you mostly see now? Like what's your ideal client?
1: So it's a 50-50 split. So it's terrible from a business perspective. Like I know it'd be a good idea to niche down, but it's a 50-50 split between power lifters and strength athletes because that's what I do myself. I really enjoy working with those clients. But beyond that, I also work with a lot of weight loss clients as well. Like as as you can see from my Instagram content, like it kind of attracts that kind of client too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I really enjoy working with both of those areas, even though they're very different to each other.
0: Yeah, it's good balance, I think. And do you mostly see males or females or a bit of a mix?
1: Bit of a mix. Um, interesting stat, but seventy eight percent of my followers on Instagram are female. Oh, really. Um, never would have expected that until i saw the data myself i was like jesus okay um but my my client base is a 50 50 split yeah
0: yeah wow that's so interesting i fully would have thought you would have had more of like a male dominant following so, so so. Did I. <laughs> yeah wow that's interesting um cool so what what would you say the hardest thing about running your own businesses currently
1: um for me like in particular i find the hardest thing just like i suppose everyone calls it like work-life balance mm. like in the past, I've worked a lot of hours, like say up to, I don't know, 60 plus hours a week. Um, when I first restarted the business and I've made the decision that I didn't want to work long hours, I was doing about 20 hours per week for quite an extended time frame. And as much as I loved that, I realized I wasn't getting professional satisfaction from it. Mm-hmm. Like the income per hour was, was good and like it was enough to live on, but I was just like, it wasn't getting me the goals I wanted to achieve. So I think that the difficult part for me is like, making sure i've got enough work to do so it's at that 40 hours mark but it's not consistently going over that because there's other things i want to do in life as well
0: yeah for sure and i think that's hard too especially um oh sorry i forgot to ask you when did you actually graduate What? Year uh, 2016 December.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah november 2016
0: yeah yeah so a few years out and like so I only graduated in two thousand and nineteen, and I'm still in that building phase, I guess. So it's really hard to switch off, and especially if you're someone who is yeah. like has that business brain, and obviously we both have similar interests in you know wanting to kind of be successful long term. So it's really hard to say, okay, now you have to put down, like close your computer, like you know work yeah. over for the day, especially while I work from home. And so you do online consults as well, as well as working yeah, in yeah online clinic? consults, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess when you started your business, did you have any like, role models that you looked up to in the nutritional business space?
1: Yeah. So originally, um, going back to those bodybuilding.com days, the forums, there was Alan Aragon, Lane Norton and Eric Helms, mm-hmm. were some of the people I really looked up to, they have gone on to be very successful even now, like years down the line, their brand has continued growing and stuff like that. Those are just some of the names that came to my mind in terms of people putting out good quality evidence-based information in that kind of fitness space yeah. um, and I've, I've always looked at them as like they are so much smarter than I could ever hope to be um, so they're still my role models from that kind of perspective now so like even if my Instagram following like grows and gets like in like a lot bigger than it is now I know that I'll never be as knowledgeable as them, so it's always good for me to be like
0: yeah. yeah. I don't know. I've heard you do some podcasts and videos and you, and your Q and A's on Instagram, you're getting up there, you articulate it's things very well. Hell. I
1: don't think it can ever get to that level no matter how hard I try. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, like, honestly, what's going on through their brains? Like how do like what do you do in your spare time to just be so knowledgeable with everything? It's amazing. So um, I was thinking
1: that the other day because I heard Alan on a podcast and I like he was just so good and then it just hit me I was like I've been doing this for like like this journey has been like almost ten years of me like spending a long time learning about nutrition and like I still can't do that like it's yeah, incredible.
0: it's crazy he must be able to retain things so well yeah for sure um, so do you have any advice for maybe new graduate dietitians or student di- student dietitians listening who want to start their own business what's like the best advice you've been ever told
1: my biggest advice is get a mentor in some way whether that is working for somebody else or getting a mentor maybe paying for a business schedule, i'm not sure i really recommend that but that's an option too um the reason for that is because no matter how hard you work for you to figure stuff out like figure stuff out for yourself it can take a long time like little things like i spent so long as a new grad trying to figure out how to make a website how to learn about seo Um, all these kind of things. But then there's some basics like, say, working with Medicare clients and stuff like that. That's really common for a dietitian. But there's little things I didn't even think about because I didn't know any experienced dietitians. Like, I didn't even think about, like, say they might fax you their EPC form or something like that or you've got to send a GP letter back. Um, I didn't even know how to write a GP letter. I didn't do one on placement or anything like that. Like, little things like that, there was no way I could learn until I'd worked for somebody or had somebody explain it to me like you can figure it out itself. It will just take a much, much longer time. And especially in that first year, like if you can kind of speed up that learning process after say like one year, like you'll know like 80% plus of what you're ever going to kind of know from that kind of perspective, I reckon. Whereas if you're doing it slowly, it can take so much longer to get to that point.
0: Yeah, definitely. Work smarter, not harder. That's what I've learned. I still try and do sure. things by myself and I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? I just <laughs> need to outsource this. But I think it's yeah. hard sometimes, um, you know, letting someone else do things, especially like, I really like doing things myself and learning how to do it. But then sometimes there's a point where you're just like, nah, okay, that's enough. That's enough. Um, I think too, also, you made a good point there about the mentor. And I think it's important to make sure that you get the right mentor in the field that you want to work in. So I actually, I I had two mentors for my grad year. So I had, um, a mentor who was into consultancy and then a mentor who was also in private practice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about nutrition. So I've been loving your weekly Instagram Q&As. Um, they're fantastic. And I really like how kind of straight to the point you are, which is good. Like some you're just like, <laughs> no. And I'm like, I love that. Like that's all you needed to say. But sometimes people just waffle on. Um, yeah. So what's kind of the most common requested question that you get asked?
1: Yeah, so the easily the most common question I get is how do I figure out how many calories I need to eat to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, like I answer that pretty much every week, but there's so many like of that that I don't answer. Yeah, that'd be the question, yeah. yeah.
0: I feel like that's what everyone wants to know as well. I guess, which brings me to one of the questions I was gonna ask you. So um, obviously I work in the weight loss space as well. And I get so many young girls, especially, who jump on those body, um, what are they called, sorry? Nutrition calculators online mm-hmm. to figure out their basal metabolic rate or BMR. And um, a lot of people think that they need to eat under their basal metabolic rate. So can you explain the difference to the listeners about the basal metabolic rate and total daily energy expenditure? Because they're two different things. And which one should we be eating under on a weight loss journey?
1: So basal metabolic rate is basically energy required for your body's basic functions. Pretty simple. When you word it like that, it makes this answer a lot easier. Um, Your total daily energy expenditure is literally that, it's your energy expenditure. If you eat the amount of calories that your total daily energy expenditure is, those are your maintenance calories. Those are the calories you'll maintain your weight on roughly. So when we word it like that, if you're eating less than your BMR, which is the calories required for your body's basic functions, you are therefore not eating enough calories for your body's basic functions. So some of those functions have to shut down, like using females as an example, like say female athletes in one particular example, a lot of them will lose their period because if you're not eating enough calories, fertility is not your body's like biggest priority. In that case, it's trying to keep everything else going because it kind of needs to do that. So that kind of translates to other aspects, like even say like bone health and stuff like that. People start losing a lot of bone um, just because those aren't the priority because your body does not have enough calories to be using for everything. So looking at it from that perspective, you just need to eat under your total daily energy expenditure and you probably do not want to eat below your basal metabolic rate for a long period of time. Mm.
0: I I suppose because it can get quite detrimental if you're eating under your basal metabolic rate for quite some time, as you mentioned, with losing um, your period and obviously your bone health and things like that. so speaking of metabolism, because I feel like that word gets thrown around a lot, especially online, and I feel like people yeah. don't really quite understand it. Um, I certainly felt like I didn't understand it when we were learning about the Krebs cycle and all of those lovely chemical yeah. reactions. So what's your like, favorite way of explaining metabolism to your clients?
1: So for that reason, I, I don't use the word metabolism anymore um i don't i still don't out the best way i want to explain it because i use the word total daily or the phrase total daily energy expenditure a mm-hmm. lot because i think that sums up what i'm trying to say but it's a really like long way of saying it um in terms of what the metabolism is it's just basically all the body's chemical reactions but it's such a difficult thing to define what it is and how it actually applies to people which is why i don't use that anymore and i either say maintenance calories or total daily energy expenditure
0: So I saw a video you did recently on your Q&As and you were talking about metabolic adaptation. So for the listeners, do you want to shed some light on that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, It's something that I'm really, really passionate about because it makes a lot of things in nutrition make more sense. So one thing people talk about often is metabolic damage or starvation mode in terms of if you eat too few calories, your body could stop losing weight it's like a body's like self-defense mechanism that's not really true in reality like there is a few very very rare exceptions where that can happen but what does happen instead is metabolic adaptation or the way it's time ty- it's kind of coined in like research studies is adaptive thermogenesis is basically where it is your body's defense mechanism so to speak in relation to eating lower calories so what that could mean the easiest example is like incidental movement so when people eat more calories, they do more incidental movement. That could mean they're more likely to go for a walk or they might walk further or whatever. But it could also mean like fidgeting, moving their hands like I'm moving my hands when I'm talking right now, stuff like that. Um, really extreme examples of that is bodybuilders in the offices. if they do a video, like you say, they're like an influencer, they're moving all over, all over the place because they've got higher calories. If they're right about to go into a show they're not moving at all they're so still their voice is slower they're like talking slower they're burning less calories um and the extreme example i use with this i don't like using it but parkinson's disease mm-hmm. it's basically like shaking all the time their calorie needs are so much higher because of that movement using just this one aspect out of so many things that change based on how many calories you consume that sums up what we call non-exercise adaptive thermogenesis that adjusts a lot based on how many calories we consume. You consume more calories, you burn more calories through this. You consume less calories, you burn less calories through that. So based on that, when you have been in a calorie deficit for a long period of time, the amount of calories that you're burning are progressively getting lower. When you go to a calorie surplus, your calorie burn goes up. So metabolic damage doesn't necessarily exist in terms of something that lasts a long time because when you add calories, your calorie expenditure goes back up, so that's kind of how I define metabolic adaptation because it goes both ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I suppose when you're working with strength athletes, or do you work with any um, bikini body? What are they called? Sorry. Oh.
1: I should yeah, yeah. So physique athletes. Yeah, physique so athletes. So I work with off season ones. I work with them until they're like twelve weeks out is kind of my cutoff. Twelve weeks out mm-hmm. from a show. Um, just because there's a few things I don't really want to be too involved with as the show gets closer, Mm. um, just due to the nature of how hard you have to work to get that lean.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So I suppose when people are in a calorie deficit, um, the hormone leptin, do you know much about what's happening to our leptin levels?
1: Yeah, so leptin, basically we could call it one of our hunger hormones or more like accurately one of our fullness hormones. So the more leptin you have, or the higher your leptin levels, the more full you're going to feel. It's basically the hormone that tells us to stop eating. Um, when you have been in a calorie deficit for an extended period of time, your leptin levels drop, which makes you hungrier. This is like there's a few hormones going on like that that have this kind of effect. But this is one of the reasons why people yo-yo diet. In terms of if you're in a calorie deficit for a long period of time, you get hungry, you want to eat. Obviously, at some point, you're probably going to eat. And then you end up eating more calories than planned there's so much going on but that's one of the big factors
0: yeah so do you do diet breaks with some of your clients then
1: yeah for sure yeah so like in terms of what the literature shows there's heaps of literature or not heaps there's a bit of literature on say like two weeks on two weeks off where Mm -hmm. the diet break is where people are eating at maintenance calories um there's a little bit on three weeks on one week off I don't necessarily do it that frequently because if you think about that could potentially double how long it takes to get to the end result, Mm -hmm. not exactly double, but it's going to slow the process down. Um, But I do implement diet breaks. If anyone's looking to lose say 10 plus kilos, um, I think you'd be very, very ambitious to think you're going to get there in a linear fashion. Mm. Um, And it's probably smarter to do a diet break to firstly kind of reverse that metabolic adaptation we're talking about, increase energy expenditure and also increase leptin back close to the baseline, so people aren't as hungry, as well as kind of the mental break from dieting as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I really liked what you said there about um, like progress isn't linear. I know a lot of my clients come to me and they think that you know once they stick to the meal plan for three weeks, they'll have all of the results that they want. But it's like long term small changes that um, will have a significant difference. I reckon so. So um for any guys and girls listening who really want to get jacked and get the gains as you said earlier yep. what would be your best tips around this
1: Um so the first one if somebody's looking to gain size the first kind of rule is like you need a calorie surplus like it is possible to gain muscle without a calorie surplus but it's not the most efficient way to do it and for some people it isn't possible like if you're relatively well trained it's probably not going to happen um so you need a calorie surplus, that's the first kind of rule because you could do everything else right, but if you're not consuming enough calories, you're not going to grow, you're not going to gain size. Um, next step is consuming enough protein. So my kind of general rule is 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilo, kilogram of body weight per day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can do the math on that for yourself. But basically, that's the general guidelines. In terms of how they came to that number in research, they basically found that 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight per day kind of covers pretty much everybody trying to optimize muscle gain. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they basically use the confidence interval to find the upper limit, and they went to 2.2 from there. So using that logic, 1.6 covers most people, but it's a safe range going slightly above that 1.6 number doesn't have many or doesn't really have any downsides or most noticeable downsides. So using that logic, at least above 1.6. But that's kind of based on leanness as well. So if somebody has a lot of body fat, I'd scale the number down a little bit. If somebody's trying to get very shredded, I'd go up higher than that, or if they're very lean to start off with. Then outside of that, I set a minimum intake for fat in terms of like the number I use is 0.3 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. That doesn't mean much. It's a pretty low target, but it's just basically if you go below that number, has some hormonal effects. Like in males, it decreases their testosterone. Obviously, it's harder to gain muscle with lower testosterone. Then I set kind of what i call a safe number a bit higher than that so 0.5 grams per kilogram body weight per day and then anything above that is basically personal preference like if somebody wants a higher fat diet we go down that route and outside of that we just fill out the rest of the diet with carbohydrates so using that logic if somebody has higher calorie needs because protein fat is or protein and fat is already set they'll have more carbohydrates if they have lower calorie needs they'll have less carbohydrates
0: yeah definitely and I think it's so important to work with a dietitian when you are doing that especially because you know you can say you know 1.6 for protein but making sure that you're getting good quality protein sources good quality fats and carbs is so essential I think Um, so speaking of protein what are your favorite food sources of proteins I don't have
1: too much in particular so like in terms of when I'm working with clients like my main one for protein sources is usually protein sources that are mostly protein. And what I mean by that is like say leaner cuts of meat, like the way I define it is like say at least two times as much protein as fat Mm -hmm. in the content of that, because doing that allows you to get to that protein target easier without overshooting your fat target. Um, Same kind of things like if you're choosing protein sources, preferably ones that are lower carb and lower fat as well makes it easier. But if there is certain limitations, such as like say if somebody wants to consume more plant-based foods, then it's basically adjusting in terms of because most plant-based foods are going to be higher carb than protein or higher fat than protein. So it's basically combining in a way, say tofu is higher fat, legumes are higher carb. Maybe at lunch is tofu at dinner. It's going to be legumes. So that way it combines to come out as the appropriate protein amount without overshooting the other macronutrients.
0: Yeah. Cool. And do you recommend um, like protein supplements for your clients?
1: I do, but basically the way I view it is based on convenience. So that, say, protein target I talked about, 1.6 to 2.2, um, using that mark, mark, if you get into that, it doesn't really matter too much where it's coming from. Particularly the higher you go, if you're up at like, that 2.2, it doesn't matter um, so much. Like, even if it's, like, plant-based sources as well, like, with what people would coin worse amino acid profiles for building muscle, after a certain point, it doesn't matter just because of the sheer quantity of amino acids they combine in a way that works out. Um And a lot of people think about protein supplementation in terms of having it post workouts really ideal because, say, whey protein due to the amino acid profile is really quick absorbing. This kind of stuff, like, it doesn't really matter in the big picture. If you're having a sufficient total protein intake, it comes out the same. Um, As long as you're getting a decent amount of protein within, say, three to five hours around your workout, you have these amino acids in your system, it works out. So then, with that in mind, it just comes down to convenience and cost. some protein powders are actually cheaper than almost every food source of protein per gram of protein. Mm-hmm. So, from a cost perspective, it can work. And then, just from a convenience perspective, like I don't know about you but like when I train, I'm not particularly hungry after training.
0: Yeah, it's exactly the same. For me to
1: consume a protein shake than I used to eat. Yeah, a meal basically. Yeah, yeah
0: for sure. Um, so, you spoke about the recommendations for people who are wanting to gain muscle. Would mm-hmm. it, how would this compare to just your general? Kind of everyday population so someone who might go to the gym you know two or three times a week just looking to maintain
1: Yeah, just looking to maintain like i just lower those protein marks like yeah. there's no need for that amount of protein um looking at general healthy diets around the world in terms of like even like longevity stats like stuff like that um most of those groups are having lower protein and are eating more plant-based so kind of using that logic Personally, I would look at, say, like 0.8 to 1 gram per kilogram of body weight per day, um, which is significantly lower. It's about half that mark that I talked about before. Um, that's probably the way I'd – the only main thing I'd change, and I would just increase the amount of carbohydrates and fats coming from good quality sources.
0: Yeah, awesome. Sometimes I look at some of the plans for athletes, and I just think, how do they eat all of that in one day? Like, I would, I would struggle to get through it, hey? So what – what are some of your goals this year, like either professionally or personally, anything you want to tick off the list this year?
1: So personally, the personal goal for me is um, just as a powerlifter, I want to get to a 600 kilo total. Um, so putting that in terms, that would probably require 220 kilogram squat, a 130 gram kilogram bench and a 250 kilogram deadlift. And I'm hoping to do that at under 90 kilos body weight. Um, wow. That's the only goal I've really got on my mind. Um, My last comp was 525 kilo total. So it's a decent increase from that. Um, Professionally, uh, my main goal, what I really want to do is basically stick around that 40 hours per week, working mark, uh, but try to get as much satisfaction out of the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's probably going to come down to seeing a certain amount of clients, but not too many, less than 20 clients per week and keeping an emphasis on the quality of my content. Mm-hmm. So that way I at least get that satisfaction from thinking I'm helping people versus just putting out content for the sake of it. Mm. Um, beyond that, I've got like revenue targets. I've got like an Instagram target. I want 50K followers on Instagram by the mm-hmm. end of the year. That's that's a goal I've got in my head. But like I don't really care about those ones so much as long as those first two goals I was talking about are met. That's the main priority.
0: Yeah, awesome. I, um, some of the listeners, listeners might know Libby Rothschild, um, I had a really interesting chat with her a few months ago and she said write down your financial goal on a piece of paper and like look at it every single day until you get to it. And it's really interesting because I have it like sitting over there on my desk and every quarter I'm like, all right, am I at that? Am I at it yet? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah it's really good to visualize yeah. your goals like that, I think.
1: I, I set my one at the start of the year and <laughs> when like coronavirus started happening, like it, like the first day that gym shut, like my business like – Probably lost, like, 70% revenue mm-hmm. from that mark until, like, a certain point. Like, it's picked up back now. It's better than ever. But that day, it really hit me hard. And it's like, I don't think I can hit my revenue goal. And yeah. I really got down about that. Um, and then the next day, I just, like, scrapped all my goals that were financial, Instagram growth, all of those things. And I felt instantly better. Um, but now that things are settled back down. I'm like, okay, it's time to work towards yeah. that.
0: Yeah. I, like... I, when I originally left uni, I had a plan of like, all right, this is, this is the dietitian I want to be. This is the work I want to do. And I had all of these goals. And then the way that my journey's gone, it's just, I've got to be open to whatever comes my way these days. So I think it's important to goal set, but also have like an open mind with stuff as well. Cause you never yeah, know great. where you might end up. So where can we find you on Instagram? What's your Instagram handle?
1: So Instagram handle is Aiden, the dietitian with underscores for
0: awesome and website if someone wants to book in to see you can they do that through instagram yeah, so, as well
1: yeah so you can do that through instagram or you can go to the website which is www.idealnutrition.com.au and i'm trying to put a bit of emphasis on putting out blogs blog content on there as well once again trying to focus on quality rather than quantity. so hoping those blogs are actually useful
0: yeah well your instagram feed posts have been very quality lately that's so great <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, Anything else you want to add?
1: No, I've got nothing to add. I say this at the end. I get this question every time. I'm like, you know what? Next podcast I go on, I'm going to have something to add.
0: Yeah,
1: no. (laughs) Thank you for having me.